I'm your host, William Tapley, also known as the Third Eagle of the Apocalypse. Stop, the stop, 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 stop. You cannot make it look like William Tapley is supporting our program. Sorry, folks. Chris Roseborough here, just to remind you, Fighting for the Faith is listener-supported radio. That means we depend upon you, your generous gifts, and financial contributions in order to continue bringing Fighting for the Faith to you. And no, William Tapley is not our spokesperson. Uh, if you don't already support us financially, you can do so by visiting our website, fightingforthefaith.com. When you get there, you'll see two friendly yellow buttons. One says donate. The other says join our crew. And when you join our crew, you're signing up to automatically contribute $6.95 to the ongoing work and mission of Fighting for the Faith and Pirate Christian Radio. And, of course, if you would like to specify the amount that you would like to contribute, you can do so by clicking on the Donate button or you can make your gift payable to Fighting for the Faith and send it to Post Office Box 508, Fishers, Indiana, zip code 46038. All right, on to the program. It's time for another edition of Fighting for the Faith, Monday, October 1st, 2012. I hope you all had a good weekend. It was uh, football free here in uh, Indianapolis. I think it was our bye week, so no football yesterday. Dodgers are out of the playoffs, too. (laughs) Always am a frustrated sports fan. Thank you for tuning in. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. My name is Chris Roseborough. I am your servant in Jesus Christ, and this is the program that dishes up a daily dose of biblical discernment, the goal of which, help you to think biblically, help you to think critically, and help you compare what people are saying in the name of God to the Word of God. Sadly, there is... Just no shortage of crazy, bizarre things being said about God. And so what we do is we slow down and, you know, kind of work from the idea that unless God really, truly reveals something about himself and that we can trust that revelation, we probably ought not to believe it. And uh, there are a lot of people out there who claim to be Bible-believing Christians, and yet what they believe, teach, and confess doesn't sound anything like what God has clearly revealed about himself in the pages of Scripture, in the Old and the New Testament. And by the way, I talk about this from time to time, but the way that I know that the Bible can be trusted and is to be trusted is because of Jesus Christ. Um, Listen, I've never met God. I have not had a Starbucks coffee with him, haven't sat down at McDonald's to enjoy a Happy Meal with him or anything like that. Um, I've never met him, and I, it would be I would be speaking out of turn if I were to say anything about God um, without first checking to see if that's really what he's all about. And the way I know that the Bible's true is because Jesus himself put his stamp of approval on the Old Testament as we have it. That would be uh, the Pentateuch, uh, the uh, the histories, and the prophets. So you know the, the, those those are the things that uh, Jesus put his stamp of approval on and said that they are, in fact, 
the word of God, that they are scripture, and that they're authoritative. He quoted them as if they're authoritative. They're to be believed, not attacked. They're to be believed and uh, not uh, reinterpreted. And so Jesus put his stamp of approval on that, and then also he promised the disciples who would become the apostles that uh, he would give them, you know, through the, the Holy Spirit, the ability to remember and recall all the things that he said and taught. And, uh, and what the apostles left us, is an accurate, inspired by the Holy Spirit, infallible, inerrant record regarding the life, teaching, and deeds of Jesus Christ, who claimed to be none other than the God of the Jews of the Old Testament in human flesh. And he proved this by raising himself on the third day after he was crucified for our sins under Pontius Pilate. And so his uh, resurrection from the grave is the proof and you know that he is who he claimed to be. And so we are not to have a view of Scripture other than Jesus' view. But on top of that, we're not to teach a different faith or have a different uh, interpretation, if you would, of Scripture other than, well, the, what the clear meaning of the text is. And uh, and you can look at you can look at this stuff in Scripture. You can look at this stuff in the early writings of the church, and you, you get a really good idea of what it is that the faith that they believed, taught, and confessed. And we're not to be innovators, and uh, we're not to be uh, in people who invent new things regarding Scripture. Now, um, at the request of a friend of mine, um, I was recently reading in Matt Harrison's book. Um, hang on a second here. Let me pull this up. The name of Matt Harrison's book is At Home in the House of My Fathers. And uh, this was published a few years ago by Matthew Harrison, who is now the current president of the uh, Lutheran Church Missouri Synod. And uh, what was fascinating about um, uh, about the section that uh, somebody posted a, a section on my Facebook wall to take a look at, and so I, I, I happened to own the book, so I went to that section in the book. There was some good stuff that uh, CFW Walther, who was the first president of the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod, uh, in, a, in a lecture that he gave out there um, early, early in his career. In fact, let me find the name of this particular uh lecture so that I can point you to it if you happen to own the book if not then you know you can you can get it on Amazon yeah here it is uh it's the uh the name of the lecture is the duties of an evangelical lutheran synod uh which was presented to the first Iowa at the first Iowa district convention at St Paul's Church Fort Dodge Iowa uh it's uh, in August of uh, 1879 but uh, in there Walther gives some just fantastic stuff uh, warning us about false teachers. And uh, in, in that section itself, uh, just fascinating stuff that he, he t- takes pains to describe in detail um, how uh, people who call themselves Christians, call themselves believers in the Bible, uh, twist and, you know, twist words and hide behind loose definitions and things like that. Um, and so uh, what he, he, oh man, he quotes Luther and uh and the quote that he gives us that uh that really helps us out is that Luther gives us the earmarks of a uh, of a false teacher in fact let me read uh martin luther's quote uh from uh cfw walther's lecture it reads the true distinguishing mark of false teachers is that they direct the attention of their listeners to themselves and their lives instead of to Christ. Now, before I go any farther, I mean, does that not 
fit the bill perfectly of just about every bad sermon we review here, but doubly so of men like Perry Noble, Stephen Furtick, major seeker-driven leaders. Who do they preach about constantly? Themselves. In fact, uh, Stephen Furtick, uh, you know, we've had to come up with our own terminology to describe what he does, and uh, it's called narcissus, narcissistic eisegesis, basically reading yourself into every passage. And so Luther, long before... Um, <laughs> Stephen Furtick walked the earth. Uh, by the way, Luther, this quote comes from a sermon on the uh, Gospel of John, chapter 1, verses 7 and 8, where uh, the uh, John the Baptist says that Christ must increase and that he must decrease. So let me read that again. The true distinguishing mark of false teachers is that they direct the attention of their listeners to themselves and their lives instead of to Christ. Pious Christian teachers direct the people away from themselves to Christ, as St. John here does and testifies. Praise God, that is what we and others are doing, for all of our sermons have this goal, that you and we may know and believe that Christ alone is the one Savior and comfort of the world, the shepherd and bishop of our souls. Just as the gospel everywhere directs people to Christ, and as John does in his testimony, this is why we never attempt to attract people to ourselves, but instead lead them to Christ, who is the way the truth, and the life. On the other hand, all those who do not preach and testify about Christ, but about themselves, they are false teachers. Fascinating, fascinating, fascinating. See, that's the thing. And, you know, the false teachers out there, they won't say things like, no, we don't believe the Bible to be true. They'll say, oh, yeah, we believe the Bible to be the inspired and inerrant word of God. And then they don't preach it. They preach themselves. They say, oh, yeah, we're Christ-centered. And then they won't preach Christ. Weird. It's just one of the most um, amazingly terrible, awful things. And uh, we chronicle a lot of that here at Fighting for the Faith and have as a goal of basically helping you to identify when somebody is doing that by basically saying, listen, doesn't matter if the person claims to be a, a, a man of God. Nobody is exempt. Not even the Apostle Paul was exempt. Nobody is exempt from having their teaching tested against the, uh, against the clear teachings of the Word of God. And if they're preaching about themselves it'll become very evident as soon as you start paying attention to, well, their verbs and nouns and adjectives and adverbs and pronouns, you know, who they're preaching about. If they're preaching about Christ, you will hear them preaching about Christ, telling you about him. And if they're preaching about themselves, you will hear them telling stories about themselves. Christ will get honorable mention, of course, but in the end, it'll ultimately be about themselves. So one of the hallmarks of a false teacher, according to Martin Luther, false teacher teaches you about himself, not Christ. All right, let's talk about what we're going to do on today's edition of Fighting for the Faith. I did not get to finish uh, what I had set out to do on Friday. If you listened to Friday's episode of Fighting for the Faith, then you already know that um, I ended up waxing eloquent in my biblical refutation of Patricia King's teaching regarding uh, the so-called law of attraction, uh, especially as she taught it from you know from a mishandling of the Gospel of John chapter 10, verse 10. And there's a lot of people out there who call themselves Christians, who mishandled John 10.10 10 and basically tried to palm off, you know, palm off being a, you know, a deception term that magicians use, palm off a false teaching that God wants you to be rich. 
Now, you may be rich. You may be wealthy. God may bless you in that way, but that's not a promise of the gospel. Um, Having an abundance is far different than having life and it abundantly. Um, There's really a world of difference there. And so, uh, yeah, it's just absolutely reprehensible. So I ended up going long on that teaching, and I, I felt it necessary. But uh, let me, let's talk about what we're going to do on today's edition of Fighting for the Faith. In just a minute here, we're going to be listening to um, Sid Roth and his guest, uh, Leif Hetland, um, discussing how to dream with God. Have you lost your destiny? Have you lost touch with it? You just feel like you ha- can't really connect with your dress- destiny? Well, good news, apparently... Um, at least the, the way the program is set up, God wants to dream with you so that you can have his best, so that you can be the head, not the tail, and things like that. So we're going to be listening to that in just a minute here. And then uh, we'll switch gears after the break and uh, and come back to the segment that I really wanted to do on Friday but did not have time. And that's looking at the second way in which Satan deceives. Now, Satan deceives in a number of different ways. But uh, I was highlighting two specific ways in which he does. Number one, by carefully omitting or twisting God's word when he quotes it, or he, not him, or you know, sp- directly, but his specifically those who are doing his work in the so in the church. Those are the ones who are pointing you away from Christ. What they will do is they will handle the Bible, biblical text the same way that the the devil uh, the devil handled the biblical text when he was tempting Jesus, omitting data and trying to create the impression that the Bible teaches something that it doesn't. That's what we took a look at on Friday. But today, what we're going to take a look at is uh, how. Um, how people who are church leaders or authors or, you know, people who speak at conferences and stuff like that, one of the things they have a a tendency to do from time to time, and I'm being generous here when I say that, is that they um, discuss things regarding God with a closed Bible, um, with basically the idea that their theologizing ego. Now, that's if if you're not familiar with that phrase, if you're not familiar with that phrase, that is a phrase that I've seen used by uh, uh, the uh, Lutheran dog- dogmatician Francis Pieper in his uh, three-volume work, Christian Dogmatics, in Volume 1. He spends quite a bit of time talking about those theologians who spin out theology not from a biblical text, not from the revealed Word of God, but instead they do so from what he calls their theologizing ego, an ego basically uh, meaning I. So it comes from within their subjective psyche rather than from the revealed Word of God. This is a dangerous, horrible practice, and it is to be rejected in Christ's church. We are not called as Christians to proclaim what we think or feel sounds reasonable to our theologizing ego. Instead, we are called to proclaim and preach and teach the Word of God. Discipling the nations as Jesus has called the church to do, involves teaching the nations everything that Jesus said, did, commanded. And that requires you to be a student of, and you never graduate from this course, by the way, a student of Scripture. You are a constant and perennial throughout your sojourn here on this temporal earth, student of God's Word. And uh, and not that does not mean you just take verses out of context, stick them on your mirror, and then say affirmations to yourself every morning on 
you know, while you're shaving or, you know, you know, or quote, you know, quote verses out of context while you're on your commute to the cubicle every day. That's no, that means you understand God's word in context. You understand what God's word teaches, what the major doctrines are, what the major themes are, what the overarching meta narrative is. And that requires you to really be in the biblical text. And furthermore, it really does require a pastor to dedicate uh, his time, effort, and focus on rightly understanding God's Word. He needs to be a careful student of it. And when he then teaches from the pulpit on Sunday and teaches you know, his Sunday school class or whatever, um, that what he's doing is correctly you know, exegeting and the uh, the biblical passages correctly instructing people on what the text really says and showing them from all of the passages of scripture the mighty work of Christ for our salvation and uh and you know to save us from sin death the devil even you know even to protect us from temporal bad consequences sometimes that truly does happen so i mean all of that has to be done through a careful you know, exegeting and reading of Scripture, and that means you go from from front to back, and then when you get to the back, you go back to the front again, or or you work your way through different sections, and then after you finish all those sections, you go back and you start all over again. the The job of catechesis and teaching never ends, and nobody gets a graduate. Nobody gets to graduate from understanding, learning, and hearing God's word. Even the teachers of God's word understand that, you know, that when you're in a biblical text and you're really digging hard into what it means, that there is so much that you learn in the course of really preparing to teach that much of what you learn never even makes it to the pulpit or to uh, the podium when you're teaching or even to the radio. Uh, You know, you, uh, you just don't have time to get into it. But all of those pieces, none of them fall to the floor. Every one of them is important. And so... Uh, what you learn is is that careful students of the Word of God, um, you know, if you really want to dig, 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 dig deep and uh, have a conversation about the depth of it, uh, that that might require you to uh, sit down and have a meal with somebody and uh, and and, you know, and labor over a biblical text and work through things. But anyway, I'm, I'm just basically pointing out the fact you will never exhaust in this lifetime um, the things that God has revealed in His Word, nor will you master them. Uh, and yet, you we are to set out, in, you know, as if we could. Yeah, I think that's a good way of putting it. Anyway, all right. So uh, with that, we're going to dive into the program proper. I should warn you, what you're about to hear is going to sound really crazy. <laughs> I won't play our standard warning because otherwise, I'll get uh, I'll lose even more time to talk about this. But have you lost your dream or vision? Are you aware that apparently God wants to dream with you? Yeah, if you've never heard that before, I can't find it in my Bible. Well, then you're in for a surprise. Uh, here, <laughs> here's Sid Roth and his guest, um, Leif Hetland, um, discussing um, how to um, dream your destiny. 2000. How to dream your destiny. Yeah, here's Sid Roth to explain. Have you lost your impossible dream? My guest has a gift from God to teach you to dream. Dream with God. and To dream the impossible dream. Watch those dreams come to pass. 
All right, let me fast forward from the uh, through the intro here, and we'll pick up the uh, Sid Roth on the other side of the intro to the program. Here's Sid Roth. Hello, Sid Roth here. Welcome to my world, where it's naturally supernatural. I just feel like I want to welcome you here because we have something to impart to you that will change your life. Some of you have lost your vision. Some of you don't even know what it's like to dream with God. You see, God wants to dream with you. God wants you to have a vision for your future. He, 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 you got any, <laughs> hearing this just go, what are you smoking? Um, really, God just wants to dream with me. Um, yeah, I'm not familiar with those biblical passages. A hope for your future. God wants you to have a vision for your marriage. I know what it looks like right now, but that's not God's best. That's not God's heart. God wants you to have inventions so that you'll be the head and not the tail. And that's not just good proclaiming. That is truth. I pray that you would hear what my guest Leif Hetland has to say. Leif, it was in the year 2000 that you had an encounter with God and he explained about the orphan spirit. Explain that to me. It, well, it, it, in year well, 2000, well, well, I... Sorry, had, couldn't get it to stop. He, he dreamed about the what? That is baptism of love experience where actually uh, the orphan spirit in my life... The orphan spirit. Okay was actually uh, totally uh, transformed into a spirit of sonship. Uh, God became my papa. He became my daddy. That orphan can't live in the love of God, can it? No, he can't. Um, <laughs> I am so weirded out here at the moment. <laughs> so your orphan spirit can't live in the love of god okay he can't he can't live in a home with father god yeah so that's the amazing so they now have a reenactment of him lying on the floor shaking convulsing apparently slain in the spirit the thing is when you are living your life having a home and that's also where there is creativity there is where everything is happening is living a life where you're 100 percent secure you're loved, you're valued, and you have a purpose. And out of that purpose, you start to get passion and you start to dream again. So that Yeah, that sounds eerily like um, all the seeker-driven um, purpose um, sermons that we hear, just with a weird Sid Roth supernatural twist to it. Kind of a foundation to dream with God. And now I have the opportunity to live my dream. Uh, <laughs> you know, when you and that would be what? Say that. I, I think of a teaching I heard of yours where you talked about that amazing true life story of Susan Boyle. When she. Uh, yeah, we all know the Susan Boyle story. Yeah. Bang on national television. Tell me about that. Well, uh. I just watched on YouTube uh, many years, well, actually several years ago, and Susan Boyle, I think uh, she's probably touched most of the American homes. Yeah, we're all familiar with the Susan Boyle story. What does this have to do with God wanting to dream with us? Uh, today you were And orphan spirits and things like that. Travel all over America, and she's filling up Coliseum of people hearing her. But she was on audition for similar like the American Idol over in England. Yeah, we're, like I said, we're all familiar with the story. What does this have to do with the Bible again? And when she came there, she probably... Probably looked like a good old country girl. Uh, she in the middle 40s, maybe don't look the best. Uh, so every 
anybody literally was judging her. Even the judges, Simon, he kind of rolled his eyes. They made mockery out of her. And they thought, what, what do you want to do? Why are you here? You, you know, I, I was watching that, and I thought that was awful. I felt my heart went out to her oh, it did for me. Did that. But I think also because we all can identify with Susan Boyle. We have all these odds against us, and that's why she... Yeah, uh, weird that this is a Christian <clears throat> television program, and uh, boy, we sure aren't hearing, like, anything about Christ, like, at all. But she said, I have a dream. And she even mentioned that what her dream was. She wanted to be actually a worldwide singer. And everybody smiled, laughed, and, and you looked around in the audience. And then when she started, it was just in a matter of a few seconds, you could send... Yeah, I just want to make everybody uh, clear about this. Um, it isn't St. Susan Boyle. I just want to make sure you understand that she's not in the Bible. The whole environment changing. And to see each one of the judges... The whole transformation and the audience, by the time she was half into it, they started to weep. But they... Yeah, we've all seen the YouTube video. Yeah, very familiar with this. What again does this have to do with God and some orphan spirit thingy? But to applaud, there's somebody that have found her dream. And despite of all, all the judgmental attitudes, and when she was finished, there was standing ovation. They had never heard anything like it. You know, when I was listening to that, <laughs> something in me just leapt this underdog that had no chance of fulfilling her dream. Yeah, it's a great story, yes. Again, what does this have to do with God again? Can you relate to that? No chance, none. I mean, how could she become a top singer? And when she sang, all the mockery turned to raves. That's what they were doing. They were raving about her. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And, and I think that what it did... I had almost goosebumps <laughs> when that, that happened. Yeah. yeah um, uh, by the way, uh, the Susan Boyle story can kind of be explained really naturally. God gave her the ability to sing, and she used the gift that God gave her, and... You see what I'm saying there? You know? We start crying. So I just felt that I want you to take the Susan Boyle and I want you to start watching it. And I watched it again and again. Then so God told you to watch it again and again. Okay. started to show it to other people. Yeah. I took a group of a thousand people in Houston. I showed it. And the whole atmosphere just changed. And I recognized. It's a great story. Yes. That the dreams that was in people's life, it started to stir up something. And then... I heard God says, Leif, I want you to be a dream releaser because... We oh, no. No. <laughs> Leif Hetlin, the dream releaser. Good, great. Yeah, focus clearly on self, not on Christ. Got it. Yeah, what does this have to do with Christianity? Like, nothing. In each one of these people, there is a Susan Boyle. There is something. There is that song that never was sang. There is that book that was never... Trust me. Trust me. I get enough emails from people who hear me sing on this program who tell me I ought to give it up. You know, it's... That business that never was started. And that started my journey towards I wanted to release people into their dream. Because uh, <laughs> I am living my dream today. Oh, yeah, yeah. You're living your dream as the dream releaser. I'm going to lose it. But when you were nine years old, you had a dream from God. What did God say to you? Well, I was sitting under a tree in Sunnes, Norway, as a little boy. I was actually... Did an apple fall on you? Very shy at that time period. And many times I, I put my finger in my mouth and sucked my tongue, even at that age. And, uh, but as I was sitting there, there was a wind that came into that tree that was outside our house. And oh, boy. <laughs> it's like, 
okay, what does any of this have to do with the God of the Bible? Like nothing. I mean, you could substitute the name God here. You know, he keeps talking about God gave him a vision. You could say Shiva or Vishnu or maybe Thor gave him this vision, you know. There's all this tingling. I didn't know what was going on. So you had a tingling while you were sucking your thumb. Way too much information. What happened? All I knew, there was a voice that spoke inside my heart. Well, I knew I was called to go to the nations of the world. But when you were a Baptist <laughs> pastor and it looked like you burned out, you, 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 you're having problems in the home front, it looked like your dream was dead. Oh, yeah, yeah. Some of you, it looks like your dream and your vision is dead. Well, God has given life the ability to resurrect that dream or vision, the anointing, and some of you... <laughs> He's going to resurrect dead dreams. Oh, man. Okay, I can't... <laughs> yeah, I can't handle any more of this. Um, who are they preaching about? Oh, yeah. Themselves. You see, Leaf, who is he pointing people to? Himself. He's the dream releaser. He's living his dream, and he's here to release your dreams. You see, Christ, he died on the cross to release you from the consequences of your sinful rebellion against God. He was pierced for your transgressions, bruised for your iniquities. The chastisement that brought you peace with God was upon him. He hasn't come to release your dreams. He's come to release you from sin, death, and the devil. Who would you rather... Um, you know, um, learn from Christ or Leif Hetland, the dream releaser who somehow thinks that the Susan Boyle story is inspired by God, the Holy Spirit. <laughs> Just, yeah, I, I was very tempted, by the way, to do a gratuitous fighting for the faith musical interlude and play <clears throat> Luther Vandross's Dream the Impossible Dream, but I decided to spare you <laughs> from that. All right, we are up on our first break. If you'd like to email me regarding anything you've heard on this edition or any previous editions of Fighting for the Faith, you can do so. My email address, talkback at fightingforthefaith.com. Subscribe on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash pirate Christian. Click on the subscribe button or follow me on Twitter. My name there, at pirate Christian. I'm going to go floss my brain with something. We will be right back. When he asked Peter, who do you say that I am? Jesus wasn't looking for affirmation. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. You're listening to Pirate Christian Radio. We'll be taking your false doctrine now. <laughs> it's... Python's Flying Circus Church. Flying Circus Church would like to again apologize. Normally, we try to do parody here at Marty Python's Flying Circus Church. Unfortunately, the church continues to just parody itself. Case in point, Rabbi Michael Zeitler's anointed shofar CD. This is a real commercial. 
When Rabbi Michael Zeitler blows the shofar, miracles take place. He wants to see God break every stronghold of the enemy in your life, healing you emotionally, physically, even in your relationships, bringing salvation to your entire household. Call now and receive both Rabbi Michael Zeitler's anointed audio CD, Sound of the Shofar, plus his brand new prophetic book, Why Israel is Supernatural, for a donation of $25. Shipping and handling is included. Ask for offer number 9081. Listen to this anointed audio CD. Allow God's glory to fill the room as Rabbi Zeitler shares from the scriptures and then blows the shofar over every issue you are facing, including mental and emotional disorders, confusion, fear, stress, grief, nightmares, insomnia, pain, sickness and disease, addictions, eating disorders, weight loss, injustices, persecution, finances, marriages, rebellious children, freedom from the occult and demonic oppression, and so much more. Through Rabbi Zeitler's brand new prophetic book, Why Israel is Supernatural, you will learn how you and your family can obtain supernatural protection in the midst of the end time judgments about to be unleashed on planet earth don't miss out on getting both rabbi michael zeitler's anointed audio cd sound of the shofar plus his brand new prophetic book why israel is supernatural for a donation of 25 dollars, shipping and handling is included ask for offer number 9081 call or write today I want to invite you to register for the free Biblical Worldview Weekend Rally coming to the following cities the fall of 2012. These are one night and they're free, but you must register online at worldviewweekend.com. We're going to start out October 7th in Destin, Florida. Then we're on to Wichita, Kansas, Des Moines, Iowa, Minneapolis, St. Paul, Tulsa, Oklahoma, Rogers, Arkansas, Peoria, Illinois, Milwaukee, Wisconsin, and Rockford, Illinois. They're free, they're one night, and it's the Biblical Worldview Weekend Rally. Full details at worldviewweekend.com. That's worldviewweekend.com. Please post this on your Facebook, put it out to your email address book. Help us get out the word about these free fall 2012 Biblical Worldview Weekend Rallies. Speakers will include myself, Brandon House, along with Justin Peters, Mike Gendron, Jimmy DeYoung, and a few others. Don't miss out on the fall Worldview Weekend rallies coming to these cities. Full details at worldviewweekend.com. Keep more of your money in your pocket. Hi, Chris Roseborough here. If you're planning to travel anytime in the near future, then don't pay more for airfare, hotel rooms, or rental cars than you need to. Longtime Pirate Christian Radio featured advertiser Cheap O Air can save you a Tijuana taxi load of money on all of your travel needs. Plus, Cheap O Air has a seasonal promotional code for all of our listeners that will save you an additional $10 off of Cheap O Air's already low prices. Visit piratechristianradio.com forward slash cheap, write down the promo code and then click on the banner and then book your travel today. Again, that's piratechristianradio.com forward slash cheap. We're back. Uh, Warning. False teachers point you to themselves. Christian preachers point you to Christ. It's kind of that simple. 
just a reminder, Fighting for the Faith is listener-supported radio. That means that we depend upon you and your generous gifts and financial contributions in order to continue to bring Fighting for the Faith to you into the world. And you can partner with us by visiting our website, fightingforthefaith.com. When you get there, you'll see our two friendly yellow buttons. One says donate, the other says join our crew. When you join our crew, you're signing up to automatically contribute $6.95 every month to the ongoing work and mission of Fighting for the Faith and Pirate Christian Radio. Of course, if you'd like to specify the amount that you would like to contribute, you could do so by clicking on the donate button, or you can make your gift payable to Fighting for the Faith, and then send that to Post Office Box 508, Fishers, Indiana, zip code 46038. Okay, moving on to the section I wanted to get to on Friday, but cut myself short because I went long, but here, we got to do this right. These are the sounds of the postmodern emergent philharmonic orchestra and their rendition of Strauss's also Sprach Zarathustra. It's an homage to the late uh, postmodern philosopher Friedrich Nietzsche. Uh, by the way, conducting the uh, orchestra here is Doug Paget. Second fiddle is Tony Jones. French horn today, uh, Brian McLaren. And playing the tuba, Peter Rollins. As you can hear, they are led by the spirit and not being constricted by limiting modernist definitions of notes. They are just letting the music flow as they feel it being channeled through them by the spirit of God. So there. <laughs> okay, now um, that's kind of the intro here. Um, Doug Paget on his radio program, you can find this at DougPagetRadio.com, uh, recently did a segment called The Problem with the Atonement. The Problem with the Atonement. So apparently there's a problem with the Atonement. Did you know there was a problem with the Atonement? If, see, if your Atonement has a problem with it, you might want to go and see if, you know, an expert on that to see if you can get it fixed. But uh, But here's the issue, okay? And uh, I'll explain this using Doug Paget and his guest. Um, I, I, who, I forget the name of the gal who's uh, who's with him, uh, but last name Peterson. Uh, um, anyway, there's a gal on the radio program with him. She wrote a book regarding uh, Harry Potter and uh, and J.K. Rowling. But anyway, um, so th- here's the here's the idea. Okay. Christian theologians do not spin theology out of their heads. They don't spin it out of their theologizing ego. They don't spin theology by sitting there going, okay, this idea here in the Bible seems reasonable. This idea doesn't seem rational, therefore it's not true. Uh, We don't do theology by consensus. We don't vote using beads or anything like that. Christian theologians... Christian teachers, Christian pastors, and Christian authors are to rightly handle God's word and not discuss Christian doctrine apart from what God has revealed in Scripture. It's really that simple. Christian theology is like astronomy. It is an observational science, okay? And the, 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 the galaxies and stars that we are to look at when it comes to Christian theology, the place where we point our telescopes, if you would, using the metaphor, is into God's Word. 
So, listen, I know nothing about God. Like, nothing intuitively inside of me knows nothing about God. And it would be foolish and arrogant of me to think that my ego can somehow just spin out of it correct truth regarding God because I think or feel this particular way or this seems reasonable or rational to me or whatever, okay? So, if I am to discuss such important doctrines as the atonement... I am 100% beholden to what God has revealed in his word regarding the atonement. I know this seems like basic stuff, but the reality is this, is that Satan's um, agents, and that's probably a good way of putting it, aren't beholden to what God has revealed in his word and have the hubris to think that their ideas— their intuitive concepts or whatever somehow trump what God has revealed in his word. And so bad theologians and heretics and agents of the devil within the church will get up and just spin theology, uh, literally whole cloth, out of their own theological ego. The question. So w- when you listen to people teaching in the church, it doesn't matter if it's Christian radio, it doesn't matter if it's this program, it doesn't matter if it's me. It doesn't matter if you're your own pastor. If somebody is getting up in front of you and saying, you know, listen, you know, um, you know, the the whole idea of the Trinity. I mean, really, seriously, I mean, that doesn't seem reasonable or rational to me. We Christians who are thinking Christians ought to know better than to believe in such a being as one God with three persons. It all seems kind of convoluted. So, you know, it doesn't seem reasonable to me. It shouldn't seem reasonable to you. So you don't need to believe in no Trinity. You should be sitting there going, uh-oh, we got a problem. Okay, well, the, the same applies when somebody um, like Doug Paget, a published Christian author <clears throat> of the Emergent Stripe, um, when he on his radio program decides to discuss the atonement and, you know, what's missing God's word, because when we when Christians teach the atonement, they should go God's word says or you can even say thus saith the Lord sounds a little more prophetic, but that's the idea. The pastoral office is a prophetic office, not in foretelling the future, but foretelling what God has spoken and revealed in his word. Right. That's what prophets do. They they speak on behalf of somebody greater than themselves and they are they make sure not to preach beyond what is revealed. Okay, so we Christians, pastors, teachers, and others, we can say, thus saith the Lord, and and, uh, especially on something as important as, well, the the atonement. By the way, the gal's name, Patricia Peterson, uh, no, Victoria, Victoria, Victoria Peterson. Is, and she's got a hyphen in there. I forget what her hyphen is. But that, that's the that's the gal you're going to be hearing on Doug Paget's radio program. And, um, yeah, anyway, so with that in mind, keep this in mind. The audio quality isn't so good. Doug Paget apparently is recording his radio program using less than super high standard radio equipment because he's not recording in that um, that radio station in Minneapolis anymore. It looks like he's recording in a home or something like that. But anyway, here's Doug Paget and his guest, uh, Victoria Peterson something, Hagee or well, I forget the, her last name, but um, discussing the atonement. But notice what's missing. Here we go. Well, so, so this day of atonement is a powerful, there, there's a powerful human requirement there, mm-hmm. right? Okay, now he's talking about the Jewish day of atonement, which was last week. To, 
to own your life, to own it before God and to own it before your own conscience and to own it before another person. Mm-hmm. Right. So it's a, that's a, that's a really great thing. Mm-hmm. The problem is for me, I just don't think it should have anything to do with this word atonement. Okay. And because for me, that word atonement has a Christian meaning that is, comes from the Jewish history, but has really taken on a life all of its own. And in Christian theology, atonement is spoken of as this one-time action that Jesus was engaged in that somehow had some effect on the economy of God's interaction with humankind or creation, and that that atoning sacrifice of Jesus's life happened, and then it completed the atonement requirement. So Mm -hmm. there's a completion of atonement. He was the final sacrifice, the last atonement, this kind of thing. Mm -hmm. Now notice he's describing uh, what really the Bible teaches regarding atonement, and apparently he's not too hip to this. So then atonement now is not an interpersonal, relational dynamic and a a personal uh, um, spiritual dynamic that someone has to come to grips with. It's this notion and concept that God and humanity had some raging battle and Jesus had to fix that raging battle. Mm -hmm. And um, I just think that's no way to tell the story of Jesus. I, I think it doesn't it doesn't comport with the with the the, so the, like the to story. Take back the word atonement. So apparently, that's just no way to tell the story of Jesus. Yeah, yeah. You don't want to tell the story of Jesus as if somehow there was some raging battle between God and humanity that Jesus had to fix by dying on the cross. He just doesn't think that's a way to tell the story of Jesus. Which kind of begs the question, um, so how exactly do you think we should tell the story of Jesus, and what's your source for us telling the story of Jesus, and what have you decided shouldn't be told as part of that? Um, I thought that Christians are to believe, teach, and confess what Scripture says regarding the atonement, which, by the way, you know, if we're going to discuss it, I mean, we could take a look at some very important passages. Let's discuss the atonement, in light of what God has revealed regarding said atonement, um, like in Isaiah, the, uh, the the book of Isaiah. We'll start, let's see here, I think I want to pick up the tail end of 52 and uh, and then continue on into, uh, to, you know, to 53 so that we can make sure we get our context here. Um, let's see here, Isaiah 52, <clears throat> I'll start at verse 13. Okay, here's what it says. Behold, my servant shall act wisely. He shall be high and lifted up and shall be exalted. As many were astonished at you, his appearance was so marred beyond human semblance and his form beyond that of the children of mankind. So shall he sprinkle many nations. Kings shall shut their mouths because of him. For that which has not been told them they see, and that which they have not heard they understand. So who has believed what he has heard from us, and and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he, this would be the servant, Jesus, grew up before them like a young plant and like a root out of dry ground. He had no form or majesty that we should look at him, and no beauty that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows, and acquainted with grief, and as one from whom men hide their faces, 
He was despised, and we esteemed him not. Surely he has borne our griefs, and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted, but he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities, and upon him was the punishment, the chastisement that brought us peace, and with his wounds we were healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed, he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. And like a lamb that is led to the slaughter, like the sh a sheep before its shears is silent, so he opened not his mouth. By oppression and judgment he was taken. Um, and as for his generation, who considered that he was cut off from the land of the, li the living, stricken for the transgression of my people? And they made his grave with the wicked and with a rich man in his death, although he had done no violence and there was no deceit in his mouth. Yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him. He has put him to grief. When his soul makes an offering for guilt, he shall see his offspring, and he shall prolong his days, and the will of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. So, okay, so just looking at one of these passages here, that is a prophecy regarding Jesus. Clearly, Jesus was assigned a grave with the wicked, was assigned, he had a took a rich man's grave, Joseph of Arimathea, right? And yet the scripture says that he was pierced for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement or the punishment that brought us peace with whom, by the way, with God, was upon him. So if we're going to discuss the Jesus story, don't you think we ought to discuss it in light of the prophecies regarding Jesus, as well as the other passages that tell us what Jesus' death on the cross accomplished. For instance, we could take a look at like 2 Corinthians chapter 5. And again, so if you have your Bible, flip on over to 2 Corinthians chapter 5, and uh, let's see what it says starting at verse 16. For from now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh, even though he, even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed. Behold, the new has come. All of this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. Now, Correct me if I'm wrong here, okay? But if you need to be reconciled to somebody, that assumes that there, that there is a rift in the relationship, okay? And, uh, in fact, uh, many people talk about the need for people to have a personal relationship with Jesus. Well, the, the reality is this, is that each and every one of us, according to Scripture, is born with a relationship with Jesus, and it's a bad one. Okay, it's 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 not good. No, us uh, Ephesians chapter two says that we were born dead in trespasses and sins, and were by nature objects of God's wrath. See Ephesians chapter two verses one through three. So here, according to the apostle Paul, writing under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, 
okay, that that Jesus has a ministry of reconciliation. Let me read verse 18. All this is from God, who through Christ, that would be Jesus, the Messiah, reconciled us to himself. So God has reconciled us to himself through Christ. And it goes on to explain how that reconciliation took place, okay? Um, Who through Christ reconciled to us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. God is making his appeal through us, so we implore you on behalf of Christ to be reconciled to God, who for our sake made him to be sin, who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Say so. If we're going to talk about the atonement, what Christ did on the cross, right? We must look to clear passages. We should not discuss these things apart from what God has revealed in Scripture as to what they mean, what was going on. Now, let me give you another clear passage. Now, if you're going to, I would go to the Book of Hebrews. Now, this this discussion here in the Book of Hebrews, and I'm going to read from Hebrews chapter nine begins earlier in uh, Hebrews, I think tail end of six, beginning of seven, somewhere in there. So you're going to get the tail end of uh, of what Christ was up to. And he- here's what it says, Hebrews chapter nine, verse 11. But when Christ appeared as a high priest of the good things that have come, then through the greater and more perfect tent not made with his hands, that is of his of his creation, he entered once and for all into the holy places, not by means of the blood of goats, and calves, but by means of his own blood, thus securing an eternal redemption. For if the blood and go- of, of the blood, if the blood of goats and bulls, and the sprinkling of defiled persons with the ashes of a heifer sanctify for the purification of the flesh, how much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal Spirit offered himself without blemish to God, purify our conscience from dead works to serve a living God? Therefore, he is the mediator of a new covenant so that those who are called may receive the promised eternal inheritance since a death has occurred that redeems them from the transgressions committed under the first covenant. Huh. Tail end of uh, chapter 9, by the way, reads this. <clears throat> Verse 3. Thus it was necessary for the copies of the heavenly things to be purified with these rites, but the heavenly things themselves with better sacrifices than these. For Christ has entered not into holy places made with hands, which are copies of the true things, but into heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God on our behalf, nor was it to offer himself repeatedly as the high priest enters the holy places year after year with blood not his own, for then he would have to suffer repeatedly since the foundation of the world. But as it is, he has appeared once and for all at the end of the ages to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. And just as it is appointed for man to die once and after that comes a judgment, so Christ, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time not to deal with sin, but to save those who are eagerly awaiting him. Pretty straightforward, right? So if we want to talk about what Christ has done on the cross, atonement and things like that, keep in mind the Old Testament day of atonement is the type and shadow that points us to the reality, and the reality is Jesus' death on the cross where he was pierced for our transgressions. He was made sin who knew no sin 
to reconcile us to God, right? All of this, if a Christian's going to discuss this, notice Doug talks about this in general uh, Christian theology and stuff like that. And he says, this is no way <clears throat> to talk about the Jesus story. In fact, let me back this up a little bit so that you can hear him say that again and understand what it is that he's getting at here. And keep in mind, you'll notice that something's missing. Let's continue. On the economy of God's interaction with humankind or creation, and that that atoning sacrifice of Jesus's life happened, and then it completed the atonement requirement. So mm-hmm. there's a completion of atonement. He was the final sacrifice, the last atonement, this kind of mm-hmm. thing. So then atonement now is not an interpersonal relational dynamic and a, and a personal uh, um, spiritual dynamic that someone has to come to grips with. It's this notion and concept that God and humanity had some raging battle and Jesus had to fix that raging battle. Mm-hmm. Right. But isn't that exactly what Second Corinthians 5 said, that God reconciled us to himself through Christ? Reconciliation kind of recognizes that there's a raging battle, right? And um, I just think that's no way to tell the story of Jesus. I, I think it doesn't it doesn't comport with the with the the, so you'd the, like the to story. Take back the word atonement. I would like to drop the whole notion. It's too. T- so Doug Paget wants to drop the whole notion of atonement. Really? Wow. Um, maybe we should stop calling Doug Paget a quote Christian. Refer to him as a Pagidian. That's what I think probably a good way to put. So the Pagidian religion has nothing to do with atonement, right? He wants to tell the story of Jesus without that concept altogether, right? Yet I just read to you clear passages that tell us what Christ was doing on the cross and how that atonement did what it did, right? Tainted now? It's like too tainted, it's, yes. And, and I even think that, that in Jewish community, you know, if, if you go back in, in, in what we can find in the, in the Israelite community and then the burgeoning um, uh, Judean communities, I think, I think atonement really did carry a, um, uh, a sensibility that God or the gods had to be appeased mm-hmm. and that there's an unpleased God who, yeah, that would be what Ephesians 2 says, that we were born dead in trespasses and sins and objects of God's wrath. That's what God reveals we deserve and earn because of our sin and rebellion against him. I'm just using clear passages here. Where, where do the, the Pagidians get their theology from? I mean, where, how do they know these things regarding God? Is temperamental and needs to have things made right or well and kind of stupid right i mean like a bit. we can trick god right pretend that we're wearing jesus's clothes isn't that kind of how it's set up in churchy church oh isn't that interesting like a covering or something yeah, like you're, like, like you're, you're, costume, you're wearing like you're, jesus's little where god's uh, like crucifixion no, no it's interesting that she would say that okay because that's another theme in scripture scripture describes uh, uh, Christians as being clothed in the righteousness of Christ. Let me give you a few passages. Isaiah chapter 61 verse 10 says, I will greatly rejoice in the Lord. My soul shall exult in my God for he has clothed me with the garments of salvation. He has covered me with the robe of righteousness. Okay. Philippians chapter three verses eight through nine 
uh, describing the imputed righteousness of Christ. It says, that I might gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness that is from God that depends on faith. Or we could even go a little further with this. Zechariah chapter 3, verses 3 through 5. Now Joshua was standing before the angel clothed with filthy garments. And the angel said to those who were standing before him, remove the filthy garments from him. And he said, behold, I have taken your iniquity away from you. I will clothe you with pure vestments. And I said, let them put a clean turban on his head. So they put a clean turban on his head and clothed him with garments. And the angel of the Lord was standing by. Or Take a look at this passage here. Uh, Revelation chapter 7, verses 13 through 14. Then one of the elders addressed me, saying, Who are these clothed in white robes, and from where have they come? I said to him, Sir, you know. And he said to me, These are the ones coming out of the great tribulation. They have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. So, Okay, so here we've got Doug Paget and Victoria basically poo-pooing what Scripture says, what God has revealed in his word, as if somehow they and their theologizing egos know better than the Apostle Paul or the Apostle John or Isaiah the prophet regarding what Jesus was doing on the cross and what he accomplished. Frightening thing, though, don't you think? Labor's way, but I mean, the Jesus outfits. So I'm now dressed I'm Jesus. up in this. I'm I'm clothed in this, right? Yeah. To borrow that language. I'm still a piece of garbage, but never but, mind. Yeah, that. underneath it all, <laughs> yeah. right? Well, and see, this is what it does because then in Christian theology, you so they're mocking what the Bible reveals. Have these other words that get that that, that are um, that are elevated to the same conversation with atonement. So you have justification. Mm-hmm. Righteousness. Yeah, justification, uh, dikaiosune, um, uh, or dikaio, the verb, uh, means to declare righteous, to declare not guilty. It's a courtroom term used in the Bible. I look at like Romans chapter 3. Yes. Um, purification, the, these kinds of words in which you say, well, there was one atonement that justified us before God, mm-hmm. but the righteousness of God then is something we have to work for. Or if you're not, uh, no, that's not what the Bible teaches. I just read to you the passages that say that we are clothed in the righteousness of God, right? So Paul's saying in Philippians three, the traditions you switch those around and you say, mm-hmm. well, the righteousness of God was was given to us, but we have to be justified daily by our activities, or however you want to put that together. Yeah, I don't know of any Orthodox Christian group that says any such things. But however you do it, you end up in this capricious circumstance where the consequence. So now he's he is judging God. By the way. Here, Doug Paget is rejecting what God has revealed in his word and is accusing God of being capricious. By the way, that's how you say it, Doug. It's capricious. Rhymes with delicious, just so you know. Of atonement theory is if God is on your side or not. Mm-hmm. And that's what's troubling to me about it. I'm not bothered by, by, the, by the notions of someone should come to grips with the wrong that they have done and how that has fractured their ability to live in wholeness and, and oneness with God and with mm-hmm. humanity. Yes, we should. But I think the notion that, that 
God is of this other type that has to be appeased in order to tolerate, put up with, or lo and behold, love humanity mm-hmm. is really troubling. Mm-hmm. Uh, and yet it's not troubling at all because it says that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. The whosoever believes in him shall not perish. That's the result of our sin. But instead have eternal life. We are not the ones who reconcile our relationship with God. God does it unilaterally while we're still sinners. Are you familiar with the Jesus story from the Bible, Doug? And, and so all the conversation that comes up in Christian theology about atonement isn't so much about this interpersonal life that one lives where, like, as Jesus said to, you know, in the the Gospels, Jesus is quoted as saying, look, when you go to the temple, if you haven't, and you want to give your your offerings to God, and you haven't taken care of the the violation in your relationship with your brother or sister Mm -hmm. or friend down the road, you should go do that and then come back and do this. Yeah, okay, I get that. Mm -hmm. But that's not where Christian theology has taken the idea Mm -hmm. of atonement. They've made it into... Yeah, as as if somehow Christian theology is its own thing. It's it's a Voganian bureaucracy that has somehow corrupted um, God's word, right? No, just look at the scripture. The scripture tells us what the atonement was about. It tells us how the wrath of God was propitiated by the shed blood of Christ, how we're reconciled to God because of Christ's death, how our sin was put upon him. I read all the passages, not all of them, but many of the passages. It's pretty clear. And so, but he, you know, he's he's got he's got to sign off on all of this. Apparently, he stands in judge over what God's word says, and is now ascribing, you know, these nefarious understandings. Apparently, of what Christ was doing on the cross, he's ascribing it to, well, you know, Christian theology. No, no, no. This isn't Christ. This isn't a result of Christian theology. This is a result of what God has revealed in His Word. This. Christian theology has made it into this, like, cosmic exchange that mm-hmm. happens. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, because, you know, Christian theology did that. No, God did that. He revealed it in his word. Right. And once it gets into that cosmic exchange, you you now have God not in the in the midst of all this, but God mm-hmm. sort of removed from humanity. And Really, how can Christ, how can God be removed from humanity when the incarnation, see this again, it's like he's saying these things, but it's like, you know, he's just extrapolating these concepts out of his own head. And while no Christian pastor, preacher, teacher, or author should be doing such things, let me read to you another thing that would basically contradict what he's saying here. Does he not know his Bible? Okay, somehow the atonement makes God somehow separate? No, it doesn't. First of all, I read 2 Corinthians 5 that says that that God reconciled us to himself through Christ's death on the the cross, right? Well, let me give you another example of how God is not separate from us, okay? Philippians chapter 2, have this mind about yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not consider equality with God a thing to be grasped, but instead emptied himself by taking the form of a servant and being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form. He humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Yeah, yeah, I mean, the whole atonement 
is tied into the incarnation. And the incarnation doesn't tell us that God has somehow separated himself from us. Instead, he's become one of us. This is, you know, again, where is, where are the Pagidians getting this stuff? They're not, well, obviously they're getting this out of the theologizing ego of Doug Paget, which is not somehow bound to the word of God. So how can you discuss what Jesus did apart from what God has revealed that he has done? Dealing with this, uh, you know, in, in the books somewhere, you know, you like. It's disempowering to people. You think it leaves people? I, I think it's built around the notion that God and humans are are in constant agitation with one another. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that would be because we sin against God and we've earned his wrath and judgment, right? Right. That's what the scripture says, by the way, Doug. And, and that's what really, that, that's the part that, that really gets me is if you need to have your sins atoned for in the sense of so that God is not your enemy and God is your friend. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that's just beginning from the wrong, from, from well, the wrong I place. Think okay, so that's what he thinks. He thinks that's just beginning from the wrong place. But let me, let me I would ask the question like, like this, okay? Has Doug Paget um, spent time physically with Jesus while Jesus was on the earth? And the, the answer to the question, by the way, is no, he hasn't. Um, you know, Jesus' earthly ministry was 2,000 years ago. Well, let me read to you the eyewitness testimony that was given to us by the Apostle John, who did spend three years with Jesus prior to Jesus' death on the cross and was an eyewitness to Jesus' ministry from both the beginning of it all the way to his ascension, right? Okay, here's what John says. John three sixteen. For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes in him is not is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. And this is the judgment. Light has come into the world, and the people love darkness rather than light because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his work should be exposed. But whoever does what is true comes to the light, so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. That's Jesus. That, that's what Jesus said. Okay? That God sent his son to the world not to condemn the world, but who, and whoever believes is not condemned, but whoever will not believe or does not believe is condemned already. And then Paul, the, the Apostle John ends this chapter... With this, verse 36, whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. The wrath of God remains on him. So what Doug poo-poos and says, ah, yeah, this is just a terrible starting point, and he rejects the concept outright, He's not rejecting, quote, Christian theology. He's rejecting God's word and what God has revealed in his word regarding what Christ has done and what Christ himself said that he was doing. And he's rejecting the eyewitness testimony regarding what Jesus taught. And he's so so who are we to believe? Who has the greater authority? The eyewitnesses to the resurrection of Jesus, those who spent three years with Jesus during his earthly ministry, 
or Doug Paget, who comes along in you know in the twenty first century, is a published Christian author. And he knows better than the Apostle John. He knows better than Jesus. He knows better than Isaiah. You see the problem here? It's Doug Paget's theologizing ego that's the problem. And he thinks he knows better. And he's doing, quote, theology without even opening up his Bible. And clearly not bending his knee to what God has revealed in his word. Pray for Doug Paget. He is in deep theological kimchi. All right, we're up on our second break. If you'd like to email me regarding anything you've heard on this edition or any previous editions of Fighting for the Faith, you can do so. My email address, talkback at fightingforthefaith.com, or you can ask to be my friend on Facebook. It's facebook.com forward slash pirate Christian, or you can follow me on Twitter, my name there, at pirate Christian. When you get to Facebook, by the way, click on the subscribe button. We will be right back. Sermon review, a vision casting sermon from down under. Should be interesting. Don't want to miss it. We'll be right back. We don't need to rethink Christianity. We need to rediscover it. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. This is the air I breathe. This is the air I breathe. I've had enough of this sissy, pansy, turning photo written music you have the audacity to call worship. Men, put this entire girly praise band in the boo box. Let's wheel in the organ and get some real worship music underway. Ye be listening to Pirate Christian Radio. Keep more of your money in your pocket. Hi, Chris Roseborough here. If you're planning to travel anytime in the near future, then don't pay more for airfare, hotel rooms, or rental cars than you need to. Longtime Pirate Christian Radio featured advertiser Cheap O Air can save you a Tijuana taxi load of money on all of your travel needs. Plus, Cheap O Air has a seasonal promotional code for all of our listeners that will save you an additional $10 off of Cheap O Air's already low prices. Visit piratechristianradio.com forward slash cheap, write down the promo code, and then click on the banner, and then book your travel today. Again, that's piratechristianradio.com forward slash cheap. Okay, we're back. Hour number two of Fighting for the Faith. We're well into it here at Fighting for the Faith. Sermon review time. This is a crazy sermon. I've noticed that a lot of the seeker-driven churches are doing vision casting around this time of the year. Driscoll's been doing it. Um, Rick Warren was going to do it, but he got sick and went into the hospital. He just got out, so he had to put off their vision night. But uh, we're going to be listening to a vision casting sermon here. Let me cue this up, and I'll explain in a second. 
The good, the bad, the ugly. We review it all here at Fighting for the Faith. We're an equal opportunity sermon reviewing service. Today's sermon, yeah, that's kind of a stretch, um, comes to us via Planet, Saker, uh, Planet Shakers City Church, Melbourne, I think Australia here, yep. Um, the um, pastor presiding is Russell Evans. Russell Evans, senior pastor of Planet Shakers City Church. This is their vision casting uh, sermon. Now, uh, the things you will um, hear in this Vision Sunday um, sermon entitled I Am Planet Shakers, um, that, which was just preached, by the way, is it's unbelievable what you're going to hear. Uh, a complete mangling of Isaiah 60, Narsajeeting, um Genesis 2, um, people taking a vow and an oath to be planet shakers and stuff like that, and as well as direct revelation from God. And um, you'll notice that uh, Russell has a hard time, like, even closely, properly, even remotely handling God's word correctly at all, which basically should tip you off to the fact that he's not actually hearing from God the Holy Spirit. Yeah, his false doctrine and mishandling of God's word precludes him from being a prophet. So, with that, let's kill the music. And here is Russell Evans from Vision Sunday at uh, <clears throat> Planet Shakers in Melbourne, Australia. And uh, their Vision Sunday, I am a planet. I am Planet Shakers sermon. Here we go. We hope you enjoy this message from Planet Shakers City Church. For more information or to contact us, please visit planetshakers.com. About three months ago, well, two to three months ago, I was on a board retreat. Now, that doesn't mean you, you retreat to become bored, um, but our board was on a retreat, and uh, as we were on this retreat, I began to talk about uh, what I felt the Lord wanted to do in the future, and we, we began to felt began. the Lord... Began to talk about what I felt the Lord wanted to do in the future. Apparently, he's a Jedi. Impress on us that um, that we'll set a 2020 vision uh, for the church. And um, I'm not a person, you've got to understand with me, I'm not a person, I get a yearly vision to have a seven-year vision. That's like, that's just crazy stuff for me because I, I actually operate on, take one step at a time. God says you do that, you do that, and do this, do that. When God spoke to me about Planet Shakers, I didn't know this was involved. I just knew that God said start a conference. And so to go with a 2020 vision, a vision in seven years, uh, was unusual to me. So when that happens, I know God's speaking because God, it, when he speaks to me, isn't always predictable. Who's discovered that God's not predictable? Ah, so he knows God's speaking to him because if whatever God is saying is unpredictable, that must mean it's God. Oh, man. He, he sometimes gets you to do things that you've never done before because he wants to take you to places you've never been before. And so he began to speak to us about this 2020 vision. And there's been a whole heap of things that happened along the way. But I want to set this vision up because what happens in a vision that God doesn't change the vision. See, what a lot of people do is they change their vision for their life. God doesn't change your vision. He just adds to your vision. So it doesn't mean the past vision was wrong. It means it's actually right, but I'm going to add to it. And 
So this is his explanation for why details in the current new 2020 vision might uh, contradict details in past visions. It's not that they were wrong. It's just that God added to it. See, that way he doesn't get that thorny thing coming at him going, wait a second, these contradict each other. You must be a false prophet. And so in our church of eight and a half years, we've had prophetic declarations through some scriptures that have been part of our vision. Prophetic declarations through the scriptures, huh? Isaiah chapter 60 is one of them. And it says this, Isaiah 60, it says, Arise, Jerusalem. Let's put planet shakers there. Notice what he just did. Ever so quickly, he says, let's take a look at Isaiah chapter 60, okay? And watch what he did, okay? It says, Arise, O Jerusalem, right? You know, and he says, let's just put planet shakers in there. Hmm. Yeah, um, let me read Isaiah 60 in context before we get to him so we can kind of take a look at what's really going on here. Isaiah chapter 60, verse 1, Arise, shine, for your light has come. The glory of the Lord has risen upon you. For behold, darkness shall cover the earth and thick darkness and the, uh, the peoples. But the Lord will arise upon you and his glory will be seen upon you. And nations shall come to your light and kings to the brightness of your rising. Lift up your eyes all around and see they all gather together. They come to you. Uh, Your son shall come from afar and your daughter shall be carried on the hip. Then you shall see and be radiant and your heart shall thrill and exult because the abundance of the sea shall be turned to you. The wealth of the nations shall come to you. A multitude of camels shall cover you. Uh, The young camels of Midian and Ephah and all from Sheba shall come. They shall bring gold and frankincense. They shall bring good news. The praises of the Lord, all the flocks of Kedar, shall be gathered to you. The rams of Nebaioth shall minister to you, and they shall come up with acceptance on my altar, and I will beautify my beautiful house. Hmm. Something tells me, if I were to find a good commentary here, that um, this is a prophecy regarding Jesus. It has something to do with Christ, Right? So, but what he's doing here, he's now going to turn this into a prophecy about Planet Shakers City Church. This passage isn't about Planet Shakers City Church. Just saying. Rise, Planet Shakers, let your light shine for all. Everyone say all. Say in Geelong, all in, in Northeast Campus in Melbourne, all. For all to see, for the glory of the Lord rises to shine on you. How many know that God wants his glory to be seen in his church? He says, for the glory of the Lord rises to shine on you because darkness is black, covers the night and all the nations of the earth. But the glory rises and appears over you. All nations, everyone say all nations, will come to your light. Mighty kings will come to your, see your radiance. Look and see for everyone. Is- All right, just a general evangelical commentary, the NIV Bible commentary. Let me read this. Uh, in Isaiah chapter 60, verse 1, God has called Zion to awake and sit on her throne. This passage calls her to shine with the divine glory. Impenetrable darkness covers the whole earth, and it once enveloped Israel when she was not walking in the light with her God, the wonderful spotlight now shining on Zion's hill is really the divine glory that is situated above Jerusalem, whereas in the desert journey it preceded the fo- uh, and followed God's people. But uh, uh, his glory so situated would act like the sun and not give light 
but caused the city itself to radiate. This light of God would have great power of attraction. The combination of nations and kings recalls this along with the use of Isaiah 60 uh, in Revelation 21, the linking of the glory of God with the Lamb of God in Revelation 21, verse 22. I told you this had to do with Jesus. Prompts us to think of the divine glory here as the risen Christ servant Lamb. Aha! See, even just a general evangelical commentary like the NIV Bible commentary says Isaiah 60 is really about Jesus, right? And um, Russell Evans here has turned Isaiah 60 into a prophecy about Planet Shakers City Church. That rules him out as a prophet, by the way. He's a mangler of God's word and doesn't teach in accordance with sound doctrine. Is coming home. Let's say, come on home, everyone. Everyone is coming home. Your sons are coming from distant lands. Your little daughters will be carried home. Right now, the Holy Spirit speaking to me, and there's parents in this room right now. Oh, apparently, God, the Holy Spirit, is speaking to him as he speaks. Yeah, charlatan. Now, and you have children that are away from God. You have, there's people in the Northeast and Geelong, and you have peop- children that are away from God. And the word of the Lord to you is your children are coming home. They're coming home. Your sons are coming from distant lands. Your daughters will be carried home. Your eyes will shine and your heartbeat will thrill with joy for merchants from around the world will come to you. This is what God's saying to the church. This was a prophetic thing that God gave us. They will bring you the wealth of many lands. People think wealth is just money. No, wealth is people. Money isn't wealth. People are wealth. So now he's just finding all different ways of twisting and mangling this text to somehow make it about Planet Shaker City Church in Melbourne, Australia. You don't say, well, money's wealthy. You say people are wealthy. So wealth is people. A nation's wealth isn't in its bank account. It's in its people. A church's wealth isn't um, in, you know, the lights or, or the vision. It's in the people. Because the vision of the people are the vision. It says, they bring you wealth of many lands, vast caramels of camels will converge on you and the camels of Midian. That talks about just people becoming everywhere. The people of Sheba will bring gold and frankincense and will come worshiping the Lord. In in verse 7, at the end of it, it says, I will accept their offerings and listen to this statement, and I will make my temple glorious. In other words, the church will be glorious. That's God's promise. This is what he gave to us. Yeah, yeah. God promised that Planet Shaker City Church will be glorious. Right there in Isaiah 60. Who knew? He said, verse 9, that they are ships from the ends of the earth, from the lands that trust in me. They are bringing home the people of Israel, home from far away, carrying their silver and gold. They honor the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel. For he has filled you with splendors. Listen to this verse 10. Amazing. Foreigners will come to rebuild your towns and their kings will serve you. I love verse 11. Your gates will stay open day and... So kings will serve Planet Shakers City Church. Uh, Weird. ...and night to receive the wealth of many lands. In other words, a church that doesn't sleep. A church that's always impacting people's lives with the glory of God. That's what God spoke to us about. Verse 13, my temple will be glorious. 
Verse 15, I'll make you beautiful forever and a joy to all nations. Now he's skipping stuff. He's doing hopscotching, okay? He's just highlighting particular phrases in different verses. For instance, verse 13, the glory of Lebanon shall come to you, the cypress, the plain, and the pine, to beautify the place of my sanctuary, and I will make the place of my feet glorious. Yeah, see, had he read that whole verse, it it would have been really tough to stretch that thing to make it fit to Planet Shakers City Church in Melbourne there. And going down to verse 22, the smallest, I love this, the smallest family will become a thousand people and the tiniest group will become a mighty nation. Yeah, now we just skip down to the end and see, he's just, like I said, he's skipping all the important stuff. Listen to this one. Isaiah 60, verse 19, the sun shall be no more. Your light by day, uh, nor the brightness shall the moon give your light, but the Lord will be your everlasting light and your God will be your glory. Well, see, how do you make that fit Planet Shakers Church? That apparently at Planet Shaker City Church there in Isaiah 60, if that's about them, then you know they're, they're not even going to have the sun and the moon anymore. They're at Planet Shakers City Church. No, God's going to give them so much light that um, they won't need the sun and the moon. Why did he skip that verse? Well, the reason why he skipped it, by the way, folks, because he's... Um, pulling the wool over their eyes because he's a wolf and he's wearing sheep's clothing in order to make merchandise and to devour them. See, if he was really teaching God's word, he wouldn't be making this passage about Christ and his coming glory and his throne in Jerusalem. He wouldn't be making that about Planet Shakers City Church, now would he? That's the promises of God for our house. Another scripture that God spoke about was Acts 1.8. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit... So to have a vision... So Acts 1.8, you you weren't there um, to receive that promise directly from Jesus, were you? You need power to outwork that vision, and God has given us... Acts 1.8, let, let me read that in context too. I mean... Since I, mean, I have plenty of time here, um, Acts chapter 1, I'll start at verse 4. While, uh, and while staying with them, uh, he honored them. Uh, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, uh, which he said, you heard from me. For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? Uh-huh. He said to them, it's not for you to know the times of the seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. By the way, that pro- that prophecy regarding that promise regarding Jesus fulfilled in right the next chapter, Acts chapter 2. Um, this was not a promise made to Planet Shakers City Church. Weird that he would make it about himself and their church and their vision. Weird, don't you think that's weird? receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you'll be my witnesses. Everyone say witnesses. Witnesses. Telling people about me everywhere in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth. That's the promise God given us. Empower generations to win generations and I'll make you witnesses. I'll make you glorious. You'll arise, shine for the light has come and people are coming from everywhere. And that's the promise that God has given us in 
you know, in eight and a half years, what, eight and a half... No, he hasn't. You've just wrestled these texts away from what they're really about and made them about you. Sure sign that you're a false teacher. Half thousand people. A few years ago, Dave McCracken, who is now part of our church, just joined our church, actually, this weekend, pretty amazing, on Vision Sunday, that Dave McCracken joins our church. It's a, he gave us a prophetic declaration, and, and, and today we got to see what God's done and is doing, but we're looking at what God's going to do. But let's look at this. Vision casting video now. idea what to make of any of this all this just extra direct revelation supposedly but uh why on earth should i believe that god's actually speaking to these people when they twist the written word of god so badly answer i shouldn't i should think of this as a false prophecy by a false prophet 
a false vision that doesn't have its origin in the mind of God. The tree grew. The tree grew. And every time he took a bunch and planted them someplace else, the whole place grew again. And I saw something, that the planting did not diminish this tree. It enlarged it. Amazing. 2008. And what we're doing around the globe and what we're doing in the city is, is incredible. And the 2020 vision, there's different aspects of this vision that God has spoken to us about. But the first... Now, I want to point something out here. Since God is the one who supposedly uh, gave them this 2020 vision, if you attend Planet Shakers uh, City Church and you disagree with the vision... You're not disagreeing with Russell Evans. You're disagreeing with God. You see how that works? Because when a prophet speaks, a prophet is always one who has words to speak from somebody who is greater than himself. Okay? He's just passing along the message, so to speak. Okay? And that's how it worked in the Old Testament. When God spoke through the prophets, people would come to the prophets to get a word from God, oftentimes. And so the prophet would pray. I, I just was reading through the prophet uh, Jeremiah over the weekend, and uh, somebody came to Jeremiah and asked Jeremiah a question, you know, regarding whether they should stay in Judah or flee to Egypt after what had happened with the sacking of Jerusalem by uh, uh, the Chaldeans, right? And so uh, it says that Jeremiah prayed, and then 10 days later, God answered his prayer, and he gave the word that God had given him to give to these people. And in there was a warning about not believing and heeding what he said. But the people refused to believe uh, the prophecy, refused to believe that what Jeremiah was speaking was from the Lord, and, well, he was right and they were wrong. Let's just put it that way, okay? So a prophet is one who speaks for somebody who is greater than himself, and he must stay within the bounds of the message given to him. This being the case, because this guy, Russell Evans, is claiming to be receiving these direct revelations from God for Planet Shaker City Church for their 2020 vision, you question the vision, you question any of the details of it, you're questioning God himself. And what do you think um, they would do to somebody who questioned God himself? Do you think they would allow that person to stay in their presence? Oh, no. They would be thrown out on a rail. Sing that God spoke to us about 
for the 2020, year 2020, that in Melbourne, that we would be, we would see seven campuses in Melbourne, across the Melbourne. We already have three and we'll have another four by the year 2020. And that we would be a church of 25 to 30,000 30, people. The second thing about the 2020 vision that we would be starting to establish, we might not have all these established right away, but we would have 10 international cities that Planet Shakers would be based and, and there'll be churches in 10 international So seven multi-sites, 10 uh, international uh, Planet Shaker campi, got it. National cities around the world. Then the Lord began to speak to us this statement, a church for all. A church for all people groups. That God was going to bring in people groups, and he already is. He, he's bringing in Africans, and he's bringing in, you know, uh, originally... When uh, that's weird, because uh, the Great Commission says to make disciples of all nations. Yeah, nothing profound here. When we first started the church, we just had, you know, basically... Uh, Caucasians and international students. Now our church is a church of many multicultural church, uh, groups, Polynesians, Asians from different nations, Africans, Europeans, New Zealanders, Pacific Islanders. We're a church of the nations because God's called us to shake the planet, not just shake a city or just shake a community, but shake the planet. Hence the name Planet Shakers, right? And that we would see people groups, Asian, Spanish, Spanish group, up there, Spanish-speaking group, right there. We started an urban life group for Spanish-speaking people, and look what God's doing. We've started a Mandarin-speaking group, which will be in the next service, and our first decision for Christ uh, in the Mandarin-speaking group got saved last week or the week before, and we had how many people at our urban... 31 at our Mandarin-speaking urban life group last week, which we've just started, which the African nation and European nations would be a church that people groups would come to. From different people groups from high-up business people to refugees, a church for all. Not a church for some, not a church just for the young, or church for just kids, or church for older people, a church for all. Church for all regions, all places. The Lord began to speak to us about an increase in social justice. We do a lot of it anyway, but an intentional outworking of that, that we would be a church is what the Lord spoke to us specifically. He said to me, he said, Asia is a key region of the world. And that we as a church and as a as Planet Shakers movement, would be impacting Asia in an in a amazing way, would impact the nations. And he spoke to us this, he said, I don't want you to start a church in Asia, I want you to serve the churches in Asia. And so we're going to work with the churches in Asia to see an impact in that region. China is a place that needs the gospel, and we're going to work with people in China. Yeah, I completely agree, which means we need to send missionaries out there quick before you get there. In Singapore, Malaysia, Hong Kong, Philippines, all, all through Asia, Thailand, that we're going to do that. And he also spoke to us that our conferences would be a focus, not on our, our touring, not our focus, but conferences, because God has anointed planet shakers to do conferences. 
God has put a, a breakthrough anointing that can bring somebody at the beginning of a conference, by the end of the conference, they're so on fire for God and they go and make an impact in their community. Planet Shakers Conference, when we're doing youth conferences, youth groups of 10 people would come and they'd come next year with 50 people because of the impact. So next year in 2013, we have in January our very first United States of America conference in San Diego. And we're going to, it'll be run by us. You know, we do conferences for other people, but this will be a Planet Shakers conference. Then in April, we'll have our Melbourne conference. Then I think in late August, and we'll give you the details about this, we've got our first conference in Israel. And uh, culminating on the last night uh, um, in Caesarea in this amphitheater, which is awesome, and it'll be looking over the sea. It's where the Apostle Peter had a revelation of the Gentiles, that they were God's people. And, and so there, there we'll be doing that. And then Malaysia, we're looking to do a conference in Malaysia next year as well. So that's what God has spoken us to do by year 2020, to, to see seven campuses in, in Melbourne, to touch Asia in a big way, to touch people's groups all over the world in a big way and see this church filled with Polynesians, filled with Asians, filled with Australians, filled with, with um, you know, uh, Spanish-speaking people from South America to Spain, seeing Europeans pack this place, seeing Africans pack this place. I love seeing Africans in church. Africans can move like no one else can. Polynesians. We're a church of nations, a church for all. So God gives us his vision. I was, uh, so I was going to share the vision, but God began to talk to me about aspects of the vision. And I remember I was in New Zealand about three weeks ago, speaking at a conference with Bill Johnson. And Bill Johnson begins to speak. Well, that explains a lot. Bill Johnson is a full-blown false prophet and a complete theological nut job. In the two o'clock session, and to be honest, it is the least favorite session of mine is two o'clock. Because my concentration is about that big by two o'clock. So I'm on Twitter, I'm on reading my emails, I'm texting and listening to the sermon. But then it comes to a point in the middle of the sermon... That he, that he makes his statement. He says, Jesus gave us authority and power. And he said, authority, our authority comes in the commission Jesus gave us, but the power comes in the encounter. In other words, God gives you a vision, but you need an encounter to back up what he said. In, in, in uh, Matthew 28, verse 18 and 19, in, in the um, Amplified, it says, Jesus approached and breaking the silence, said to them, All authority, all power of rule in heaven and earth has been given to me. And then verse 19 says, Therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. All authority and power. So that's the commission. God has given us a commission to touch the nations, touch this city. Luke twenty four forty nine says this, And now I will send the Holy Spirit just as my father promised, but he will stay here in the city, 
but stay here in the city until the Holy Spirit comes and fills you with power from heaven. In other words, Jesus gave the commission, but he says, now you've got to have the encounter to back up the commission. And we've been talking about this called defining encounters. And, in- mm-hmm. yeah, and shouting makes it you know, much more authoritative. I mean, that creates the true impression that you've received this word directly from God. Just shout. Yeah, that, that'll make people think, oh, yeah, this has got to be from God. In that meeting, as he began to talk about power, that the commission is, is the authority and the encounter comes, is the power that comes in the commission to outwork the vision. And he made this statement. He said, our defining encounters set up our future. And I just come out of 2020 vision, which God has spoken to us. And as he began to speak, the power of God hit me on the front row and I began to shake. Wow. It hit you on the front. What did it feel like? under the power of God and the fire of God that I hadn't encountered to this degree for so long. I've had encounters, but not a defining encounter like this. So I knew that God was on the move in our church to do something amazing. As the power of God hit me, I ended up on the floor. And God spoke to me two things. Just like he did when I was 28, 29 years of age when he spoke to me about starting Planet Shakers. He spoke to me these two things. He said, number one, he said, Russell, give me the church. I said, Lord, you've got the church. He said, well, I have parts of it, but I want all of it. I said, you've got all of it. He said, well, why worry about things? He says, if I've got all of you, why are you worried about this and why are you worried about that? <laughs> I said, uh, I don't know. He says, obviously, I don't have all. I said, Lord, it's yours, it's yours, it's your church, it's your church. He said, the second thing he said is chapter 2. Everyone say chapter 2. I said, Lord, what's chapter 2? He said, when you were 17, you had a defining encounter with me that you said you couldn't communicate, but I said, you'll receive power, I'll give you my power. And so I gave you my power, ability, efficiency, and might. And I, he said, that's like the forward to your life that I gave you the dream, the forward to what... I mean, this guy is not only a leaky cannoneer. Um, I mean, it's like his cannon is like a sieve. That, that's how well he keeps sound doctrine. It, this is bad. What you can do. I said, wow, that's amazing. He said, when you're 28, you're at a conference and you had an encounter with me that I told you to start a conference called Planet Shakers. And out of that, the last 16 years has come out of that encounter. Oh, there have been daily encounters, but that, that defining encounter, out of that encounter, you started a conference and then out of that conference came a movement and out of that movement come worship and out of that worship come a church and out of the church, you've touched the planet. He said, that was chapter one. He said, 2020 vision is the first start of chapter two. And what I'm about to do in... Really, that, that's what God said, despite the fact you've completely mangled all those texts. Weird. In you is going to be amazing. And he said, and when I mean in you, I mean in the church. So he said, this is chapter two. I was sharing this chapter two with our, with our 
executive staff at my house and begin to talk about this. And then Pastor Zoran, who's very prophetic, he, 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 he began to see some things. And so I'm getting him to explain what he saw. So Pastor Zoran is on the screen. Another vision casting video here. Okay. We were at Pastor Russell and Sam's house for our executive discipleship evening when Pastor Russell began to talk about the incredible encounter that he had with God in New Zealand. As he began to speak, he uh, shared about how the Lord had spoken to him that this was chapter two of his own destiny and Planet Shaker's destiny. He was also saying how the Lord had spoken to him and uh, was encouraging him to hand the church back to him. And he just kept saying that over and over again, that the Lord was saying, hand the church to me, Russell. And uh, as Pastor Russell was talking like that, immediately Genesis chapter 2 flashed up to my spirit. And I figured that it had a direct correlation. Genesis chapter 2 flashed into your spirit, really? ...to the chapter 2 dynamic of what the Lord was speaking to Pastor Russell. The Genesis 2 dynamic. It's a weird way to talk about Genesis 2, don't you think? The significance of Genesis chapter 2 is that it also started on the eighth day. And in Genesis chapter 2 is the conclusion of the seventh day of creation. Uh huh. And the commencement of the eighth day. And Planet Shakers as a church, we are in our eighth year. And so I started to... Oh, wow, what a coincidence. Did you learn this numerology from William Tapley? ...ponder more about the significance of that and could see how it was directly connected with what God was speaking to Pastor Russell about in terms of a confirming word. And so I saw chapter 2 in the eighth year and Genesis chapter 2 on the eighth day being closely connected together. The other thing that I had seen in that chapter is that that's the very chapter where God had created Eve and brought Eve to Adam. And so in some ways what we see there is a type of God creating Eve and bringing the bride to Adam. And in the same way I was feeling the Holy Spirit say that Pastor Russell is beckoning him to bring the bride to the second Adam, which is Jesus Christ. And mm, yeah, see, wow, I mean... See, just like God brought Eve to Adam, so God's going to bring the bride of Christ to Jesus because of Planet Shaker's church. That's how we're supposed to understand Genesis 2 now. From there, the, the whole meeting and the whole atmosphere of the room, you could literally sense it was so thick and so tangible with God's presence that you could literally feel the Holy Spirit coming right out of Russell in terms of... Really, you can feel the Holy... Just coming... What does it feel like when the Holy Spirit comes out of Russell? What does that feel like exactly? Everything that he had been speaking to him about with regard to the future of the church. Chapter 2. When I was... Let there be light. When, when Zoran was sharing this, the Lord spoke to me and he said, what day is it? I said, what do you mean what day is it? He goes, what's today's date? Huh. That is very bizarre. That is very bizarre right there. Bizarre. 
the time I've got left is 28 minutes, right? That is very bizarre. The day the Lord said to me and said, what day is it today? I said, I don't know. He said, have a look. I had a look and it was the 28th of the 8th. Two eight. I'm speaking you with 28 minutes to go. Two eight. Yeah, I'm, you've been to the William Tapley School of Numerology, right? So God speaks in, in prophetic numbers at times and prophetic things. So two, he said it's the 28th of the 8th. What is two significant? It, it, it's significance of two is a symbolic number for witness or agreement or partnership. You know, two is so significant. In the Bible, there is the first testament and the second testament. And the second testament is better than the first testament. The Old Testament and the New Testament, there were two Adams. There was Elijah who had a dream and Elijah who did double. In other words, chapter two is a whole new level. There's Moses who set the people free and there's Joshua who took them to the promised land. Both were important. One was chapter one, one was chapter two. And God is speaking to us that we are going to step into a realm. And you're stepping into something. I don't know about a realm, but... Not just me, but us as a realm. Chapter two is here for you. We can make that a rhyme. Chapter two is here for you. Again, let me remind you all, this is a vision-casting <clears throat> sermon. Nowhere in the Bible um, are pastors given the authority to cast vision. Just want to let you all know that. You know, as I shared this vision with our leaders, and what God was speaking, Paul Bergen turned to me and he says, you know, Revelation 2 is to the seven churches. I said, Wow. Then God began to speak to me about chapter 2's in the Bible. Job chapter 2. In the last days I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Acts chapter 2. And and the Holy Spirit came and fell and the church was birthed. And then um, Bill Bill Cracknell, McCracknell, that's Dave McCracken and Bill Cracknell together. Bill Cracknell who is is an anointed man in our church who has been in our church since we started, involved with prayer and a whole heap of other things. He said the Lord told him, Years ago, Haggai 2, verse 7 to 9. He said, I didn't know what it meant until tonight. And this is what it says. Just take this into context of Isaiah chapter 60, what we've been talking about as well. It says, I will shake all the nations. And the treasures of all nations will be brought into this temple. I will fill this place with glory, says the Lord of heaven's armies. The silver is mine, the gold is mine, says the Lord of heaven's armies. Listen to this verse 9. The future glory of this temple will be greater than its past glory. Yeah, obviously he was talking about Planet Shaker City Church. So your next glory will be so much better. And in this place I will bring peace I, the Lord of heaven armies, have spoken. In the Amplified it says, The latter glory of this house shall be greater than the former glory of this house. And in this place I will bring peace and prosperity, says the Lord. 
Haggai chapter 2, verse 7 to 9, again a prophetic declaration. Then Andy Harrison rings me after that meeting. I said, he said, I was just reading my devotions and Psalm 2, verse 8, that's where I'm up to, says this, Psalm 2, 8. It says, only ask and I'll give you the nations as your inheritance, the whole earth as your possession. God is speaking about chapter 2 in our lives from Geelong to... This is just utter nonsense. God is speaking to us about chapter two. Hi. Can't wait till chapter three gets here. To Melbourne, to Northeast, there's seven campuses that we'll have in this city, 10 around the world. We'll touch the nations. Yeah, just keep yelling. That is always the proof that you got this directly from God. But I believe there's going to be such a move of the Spirit. Then the Lord made the said this statement to me and to Sam. <laughs> Made this statement that encapsulates what we're saying is, and I'm, it'd be good to put it on Twitter and stuff, hashtag it. <laughs> it says, I am Planet Shakers. And the Lord spoke to me and he says, in the Gospels, they were under the vision of Jesus In Acts 1, he gave them a vision to live out their life. In chapter 2 of Acts, they became the vision. They became the church. Oh, no, no, no. Oh, you can see where this is going. And the Lord spoke to me and said, No, he didn't. You're lying. God, the God of the Bible, the one true God, he didn't speak any of this to you. This is either the delusions of your own mind or they're satanic in origin. But it's not God. The one true God, Yahweh, who spoke this to you. Absolutely not a chance at all. People have been, we've been in, a, in the vision and have been under a vision, but now they're becoming the vision. And God wants to take you from being a part of the church to be the church. He wants to take you a part of saying, that's a great vision to say, hey, that's my vision. He wants you to, you and I to understand that we've called to shake the planet, called to shake the nations, just not Sam and I, just not the staff, but everybody. We're all called to shake the nation, to be a planet shaker, to shake the place for Jesus, to see the kingdom of God. See, God hasn't called us just to be passive makers, boring creators. It's called us to be planet shakers. See, We need to come into an agreement with what God wants to do. Here's the point. You got to come into an agreement because you got to get busy and make this happen because now you're the vision. Don't challenge it. Don't question it. You'll find yourself at odds with God himself. Let's go to this video. Third vision casting video of the night. I'm Katrina. I'm a school teacher of grade 5 students. I'm an adult urban life coach at church. I am Planet Shakers, a church for all. Hi, I'm Maddie B. I run a panel shop and I also play bass on the music team. I am Planet Shakers, a church for all. Hi, my name is Rachel. I'm a disability support worker. I also help with Planet Kids on a Sunday. I am Planet Shakers, a church for all. I'm Pablo. I'm a soft tissue therapist and an ergonomic consultant. I'm also an urban life coach. I am Planet Shakers, 
Okay, you can see where this is going at the end of this. Everyone's got to say that they are planet shakers. I'm Renee, and I'm a mum, and I serve on the production team doing side of stage at church. I am planet shakers, a church for all. Hi, my name is Chris. I'm a doctor. I volunteer at the InfoDesk stand on Sundays. I am planet shakers, a church for all. Hi, I'm Carolyn. I'm a mum, and I'm on the prayer team. I am Planet Shakers, a church for all. I'm Andrew. I'm an intensive care nurse. I'm also involved with guest services in ushering. I am Planet Shakers, a church for all. I'm Jal. I work at a pizza joint and I'm also on Vroom Team. I am Planet Shakers, a church for all. Hi, my name is Aussie. I'm a Bible student at Planet Shakers College. I'm an urban life coach at the Spanish Urban Life, Urban Life in Espanol. And I am Planet Shakers at Church for All. Hi, I'm Ella. I'm a recruitment consultant. I'm also a leader at Planet Boom. I am Planet Shakers at Church for All. I am Julie. I am an occupational therapist. I'm also on the prayer team at church. I am Planet Shakers, a church for all. Hi, I'm Petros. I am the business manager of the Grills restaurant in Camberwell. I'm also a planet... Yeah, again, this is... A vision casting <clears throat> sermon. Boom leader. I am Planet Shakers, a church for all. Hello, my name's Ollie. I like to go to Planet Shakers and I go to kids' church. I am Planet Shakers, a church for all. I'm Jackie. I'm an international Bible college student from Germany. I'm part of the choir on Sundays. I am Planet Shakers, a church for all. I'm Teresa. I'm a personal carer for the elderly. I'm a carer for the Polynesian community in our church. I am Planet Shakers, a church for all. My name is Benson. I'm the sales training manager. I'm also an assistant coach at Urban Life. I am Planet Shakers, a church for all. Hi, my name is Ryland. I run a French restaurant in South Cape Town. I'm also part of the guest service on Planet Shakers City Church, Cape Town. Uh, I am Planet Shakers, a church for all. Hi, my name is Leo. I like playing soccer. I love Planet Kids. I am Planet Shakers at Church for a Role. Hi, I'm Jess. I'm studying commerce. I'm a care worker at Planet Uni. I am Planet Shakers at Church for All. I'm Sean. I'm a builder. I'm on the production team at Church doing sound. I am Planet Shakers, Church for All. Hi, I'm Steph, and I'm a master's student in international relations at the University of Melbourne. I also sing on the music team at church. I am Planet Shakers, the Church for All. Hi, I'm Dean. I work as a car technician. I am a new Christian care worker in my urban life. I am Planet Shakers, a Church for All. Hi, my name is Alicia. I'm a mom and an accountant. I'm an urban life coach. I am Planet Shakers, a church for all. See people from all different walks of life, different careers, different backgrounds. I reckon it'd be great to see a whole heap of Indians and Sri Lankans in the church. You know, pack it out. People groups all over the place. Different places, different people, but all called to shake the planet. All called to bring the glory of God. All called to make a difference in their community. All called for chapter 2. I am Planet Shakers. 
from Geelong to Melbourne, the northeast. Today, we needed to come in agreement and declare the 2020 vision. So we need to come into agreement. That's really the idea behind the <clears throat> vision casting. You don't question the vision. You must come into agreement with it. What he's not saying is, or else. All over this room, you say, I, I, I want to do that. I want, I want to declare this over my life and over this city and over the nations of the world. I want you to stand to your feet just for a moment. From Geelong to Melbourne. Now here comes the pledge. To northeast, down in Yarra Plenty. I want you to say this after me. Today, I come into agreement and declare the 2020 vision of Planet Shakers that we would have seven campuses in Melbourne with approximately 25 to 30,000 people. We agree with that. We come into agreement for 10 cities internationally. We come into an agreement with a church for all, all people's groups, all nations, all people's groups, all backgrounds, all socioeconomic areas. A church for all. I come into agreement of an increase of social justice and miracles in the life of our church. We see Asia on fire. So they're binding themselves to this vision. We see our conferences impacting nations in Jesus' name. So today, we receive this with authority and power. We are ready for chapter 2. A new level, a new day, in Jesus' name. Yeah, that's blasphemy there. Jesus didn't give you this, and you've been mangling his word and blaming all of this on him. Mm. Amen. No amen. Amen. Let's, no. Let's give the Lord a hand of prayer. Yeah, I'm sorry. I'm not familiar with your Lord. He's not the one of Scripture. So there you go, another frightening, harrowing, vision-casting <clears throat> sermon. But uh, I put those into the mix so that you can hear the the nonsense that's going on in the name of Christ. You will look long and you will look hard throughout the Scripture to find that the pastor has the authority to, quote, cast vision to a congregation. That it's expected that you know a pastor would receive from God a direct revelation regarding the next steps in the vision and things they've got to do. Um, aggressive is what this is, but it's not aggressive for the kingdom of God because if it was really truly for the kingdom of God, well, then he'd be properly handling God's word and proclaiming Christ. Was Christ proclaimed? No, not at all. Who was proclaimed? Uh, the prophet uh, Russell, and uh, planet shakers, but not Christ, not his word, not his kingdom. 
big difference between the two. So what would you think? I'd love to get your feedback. If you'd like to email me regarding anything you've heard on this edition or any previous editions of Fighting for the Faith, you can do so. My mail address, talkback at fightingforthefaith.com. Follow me on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash pirate Christian. Click on subscribe or follow me on Twitter. My name there, at pirate Christian. Till tomorrow, may God richly bless you in the grace and mercy won by Jesus Christ and his vicarious death on the cross for all of your sins. Amen. Amen.